0: Welcome to the Cabling Podcast. Remember to punch down on that like button and also subscribe to Cabling News. Hello. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're here today with Jeff Hanen, VP of Broadband Access and Home Networking at Delora Group. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jeff.
1: Thanks for having me. We want we to get it. into
0: your recent blog article at the Delora Group uh, website, uh, a forecast uh, look into uh, what we might expect uh, in the uh, broadband and uh, fiber broadband uh, sphere for broad the broadband access and home networking market in 2023, going forward in 2023. But before we look ahead, uh, let's look back. And I wanted to ask you, what's your assessment of 2022 in the context of cable MSO's broadband initiatives?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, you know, 2022 obviously without the benefit yet of the uh, the Q4 numbers, um, I'm still expecting uh, the the last year to uh, uh, be a positive year. Certainly, when it comes to fiber initiatives, I mean, there's no question now that uh, revenue was up uh, in the double digits uh, from 2021, and 2021 was up even in the double digits uh, over 2020. So there's been a clear uh, focus on fiber investment, and when when you talk specifically about cable operators, they too are also making their own investments in fiber infrastructure, uh, albeit quietly. But um, you know we're seeing a very steady rise in the purchase of remote OLT modules uh, to be placed in existing optical node locations to start peeling off uh, fiber subscribers, uh, you know, in competitive areas um, and in in uh, markets where it makes sense. Uh, to begin offering services uh, or fiber services, particularly in uh, new build uh, scenarios, you know, of, of course, uh, uh, cable operators in uh, at the tier one level, you know, they've they've kind of solidified their plans uh, for DOCSIS 4.0, uh, so they are uh, preparing their outside plant and also making gradual steps within the DOCSIS 3.1 environment, doing mid splits and high splits currently, which puts sets them on the path. Uh, you know, to take advantage of the availability of doxis four uh, o amplifiers, taps, and uh, and other equipment as that becomes uh, more readily available later this year.
0: Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And looking to twenty twenty three, what are your expectations for what cable MSOs will uh, be doing this year?
1: Yeah, I think like I like I mentioned, um, <clears throat> they're going to start preparing their. Uh, uh, their outside plants to support that DOCSIS 4.0 upgrade cycle. Um, And uh, as I mentioned, the DOCSIS 3.1 mid-split and high-split initiatives to uh, allocate more upstream bandwidth to subscribers, uh, that's certainly going to occupy most of their time. Uh, This year, um, we also then, again, have smaller cable operators that are converting and cutting over to uh, fiber, um, in addition to also doing mid splits and high splits uh, uh, where it makes sense, uh, so you've got a, a sort of a mixed bag of things going on for for cable operators, and it certainly depends on the scale of those operators. You know, Comcast and Charter have been uh, you know pretty vocal and public about what their uh, forward-looking plans are and architectures are, and um, they've they've kind of become more streamlined, um, you know, albeit. You know, differing uh, in in terms of uh, the spectrum usage uh, in the outside plant, um, but uh, in, in terms of the platforms, virtual CMTS and remote PHY devices, they've now uh, come to uh, an agreement on uh, that architectural approach for their distributed access architectures.
0: Right. Uh, what are the big challenges you expect? Uh... Cable MSOs and BSPs of all sizes to face this year as they attempt to uh, reach these goals.
1: Well, you know, I I think for emerging fiber providers and those that are still uh, in the midst of rolling out fiber, uh, labor shortages are still going to be a challenge as are supply chain issues. Um, You know, don't get me wrong. uh, This isn't you know things are slowing down to a certain extent be because of the macroeconomic environment, but the same issues. Uh, that were, you know, kind of uh, keeping a lid on on growth are still there. Labor being a a, a big one. Um, so, you know, all broadband service providers are, are still trying to wrestle um, with that. And the second uh, the second thing they're wrestling with now is a new competitive environment. Um, you know. Uh, they they're, they may be facing uh, competition where they didn't have it before, and they may be facing competition from multiple operators now. And that's certainly going to set the stage uh, for them uh, in the future as so much of this overbuilding has taken place now, particularly in North America, but also in other markets as well. Uh, for cable operators, I think the big challenge uh, in the short term for them is uh, the, the percep- fighting the perception issue. Uh, the perception that they're the stodgy incumbent, uh, that their technology isn't fiber. I mean, I have conversations with, uh, with neighbors who, you know, we, we have a fiber provider that's come through now. And the perception is that that service is, uh, is, is far better technologically. When speed-wise, um, you know, if, if uh, the, the local cable operator is upgraded to DOCSIS 3.1, um, you know, using a, a, a one gig service, and they're they're competitive. Um, it, it's just the fact that it's it's copper uh, or coax and and not necessarily fiber. But that's a perception issue that they have to that they're going to have to fight.
0: Right. Yeah. This uh, perception that you mentioned among at least some on Wall Street that fiber trumps HFC. What do you suggest that operators do to change this perception?
1: Yeah. I think a <clears throat> I think a big thing is that they're going to have to highlight is the fact that they've been here and they've been providing service. Uh, you know, uh, soundly and uh, reliably uh, for a very long time. Uh, and just because a, a, a competitor that you know comes in with a with a supposedly uh, better technological option doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to provide you the same level of reliability that they've the c- cable operators have demonstrated for years. So that's something they're going to have to highlight. Um, I think the other thing is they're going to have to expand into uh, you know home networking offerings, managed home Wi-Fi, um, really highlighting parental controls, cybersecurity, all the things that are going to differentiate their uh, service and and to you as a subscriber and make you feel comfortable that they're looking, that, you know, they've got your back. Uh, that If you have multiple choices now, and let's say the price points are the same, speeds are the same, the difference is going to come in the customer service. Uh, and the things the, the things that are going to uh, ensure reliability and ensure that every time you know you you fire up an iPad or Netflix or uh, whatever service relies on broadband, then it's going to work.
0: Yep. And uh, while we're discussing those uh, those options that providers can uh, offer, I know that uh, you know wi- Wi-Fi 6E is uh, something that uh, has is going to be taking hold in uh, home networking. For uh SPs and then uh, we've been covering uh the emergence of uh, this Wi-Fi seven uh technology. Um, anything to uh, say about that Wi-Fi 6C Uh, that is sort of becoming incumbent versus, or not incumbent, but you know, it's 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 out there now versus uh this emerging Wi-Fi seven.
1: Yeah, I think we're just now starting to see the 6E uh, gateways uh, from specifically from cable operators hit the market and being made available to uh, to select subscribers uh, as an option. Um, there, there there's still a ways to go. I mean, Wi-Fi 6 uh, is, is now the, the the dominant technology in terms of uh, both uh, uh, gateways and routers that are sold by service providers or leased by service providers as well as retail. Uh, units uh, that that are purchased by consumers. Um, so you know, 6E uh, still has a ways to go, and and uh, you know, a, a bit of time to ramp. The challenge, of course, is that all right, we we just had we just wrapped up CES uh, a couple weeks ago, and the buzz was all around all the Wi-Fi 7 units, albeit a pre-standard. But I mean, this is something that we we see every time a new Wi-Fi uh, standard is uh, uh, is issued. You'll always have the chip makers and component suppliers as well as the system vendors well ahead of of the standards bodies uh, just so they can start to seed the market with the technology. <clears throat> um, and, and so, you know, w- w- what's different about Wi-Fi 6E is that the the window, uh, the traditional window of, of, you know, development and uh, product availability and then proliferation in the market so that prices come down on those units. That window is really short uh, because Wi-Fi 7 is already breathing down its neck. So, you know, I, I really think that operators, service providers and, and uh, you know, even the, the, the uh, CPE vendors that are focused on the retail side, they're really looking towards Wi-Fi 7 as that really big next step for them. So they're trying everything they can to hasten the delivery uh, and introduction of Wi-Fi 7 into the, into the market.
0: Understood. Thanks for that answer. Um, back to the fiber discussion. Um, what's your forecast for what we'll uh, really see uh, in terms of fiber to the home uh, technology uh, advancements and uh, doings this year?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, again, this year is going to be a tale, at least in uh, markets outside of China, of two technologies. GPON still is providing the uh, kind of the the foundation. Uh, for for most fiber to the home deployments, uh, but we're seeing uh, an increasing uh, deployment of XGS PON uh, for you know multi gigabit services to subscribers, and that that's the way things are going to look uh, for the rest of the year. I still think you know we'll we'll probably get to the first half of the year, GPON ONTs uh, will will still largely be the the dominant uh, CPE technology of choice, and then by the second half of the year. Uh, in some markets, particularly in North America, we will likely see uh, XGS PON ONTs sort of take over uh, in in terms of overall unit shipments.
0: Okay, understood. Um, We have a new Congress in place this year with Republicans calling for increased oversight of broadband funding programs. Do you see any of the programs as being in jeopardy?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Oh, it's (laughs) tough to to answer political questions and and how they impact the numbers. But certainly, when you've got so much uh, subsidization uh, on the table, Um, you know, I'm not sure that the the changes in the the makeup of the the House are going to really have an impact on the programs that are already out there. I mean, look, the the programs just being by nature, government programs are going to take a long time anyway, we're already starting to see Um, you know, some uh, arguments around the bead program and whether fixed wireless, unlicensed fixed wireless should be included or not. Um, There's a lot of heavy lobbying on both sides by Fiber Broadband Association and WISPA. logically. Um, You know, personally, um, I I don't, I think the delays uh, that we've seen historically in these massive uh, uh, subsidization programs uh, like CAF, CAF2, even going back to BIP and BTOF in the broadband stimulus days of 08 and 09. I mean, some of those, uh, some of those, uh, uh, those funding uh, mechanisms haven't even wrapped up yet. Uh, so it's just going to take a long time anyway. And I don't think, uh, you know, the, the makeup, the political makeup of the, of the House is going to have much impact on that uh, at all
0: thanks for those insights. Uh, well, the goal of those problems uh, programs, sorry, is to make uh, broadband access ubiquitous. but assuming they achieve this goal, um, what happens to the broadband market then, and uh, when might market participants have to concern themselves with this?
1: Well, uh, I, again, I think we're uh, at least in the in the North American market. We're still a ways away, uh, many years away from actually reaching achieving that goal of of truly bridging the digital divide. And uh, you know, that's not just a question of um, of availability. It's also going to be a question of affordability. Um, so I think, you know, once once all is said and done, and the the money has been distributed. You know, there, there's certainly penetration rates are going to increase. Well, availability rates of, of broadband are going to increase, but we're still going to deal with the issue of how do we get families uh, in their homes and, and uh, uh, students to be able to afford a broadband, uh, you know, a valuable broadband connection into the home so that they can use it uh, for uh, its intended purposes. Um, and, and that's going to be the next step of the debate. It should be part of, in my personal opinion, it should be part of the debate now. But we're so focused on infrastructure and connectivity now that I think the affordability issue kind of gets pushed to the the back burner. And so operators, you know, during COVID they were good about, uh, uh, you know, offering lower price and, and you know making uh, connectivity available. But then those programs went away, and I I, I kind of feel like the next step is how do you, if you truly want ubiquitous broadband, how do you how do you judge the economic impact uh, and and make it truly available to everyone?
0: Thanks for that answer. Um I want to take you uh, for this uh, last question back to uh, your blog. Um mm-hmm. you say we see subscriber growth slowing, which will bring ONT growth down to flat or single digit growth. Now, given that growth will slow overall for the broadband market, do you believe that we'll see reduced growth uh, across the board, so to speak, or will uh, certain segments uh, such as ONT's uh, dip more than others?
1: Well, um, so there there are a couple of answers uh, uh, there to your question. You know, the, the first is that, you know. A big driver for new broadband subscriptions, uh, uh, two of those drivers, uh, beyond obviously availability of the technology, are uh, new housing starts and then um, movement, uh, you know, people moving from one state to another, moving locations, and that typically drives, you know, additional broadband subscriptions. Well, we, at least through 2022, we still have continued to see that movement but the new housing starts because of interest rate increases have certainly slowed. Uh, and we're seeing that now in 2023. So my expectation as I model, you know, what the demand is for uh, CPE to t- turn up new subscribers, maybe you, maybe you can do with less, uh, this year because that movement and those new, new homes aren't being built at the same rate that they have been over the last two years. And that's just inevitable. Right. Um, We've seen phenomenal growth, like unprecedented growth over the last two years in, in broadband spending. So there, there was naturally going to be a point in time where it was going to come down. The rate of growth was going to come down. I want to be clear that I still expect broadband spending to increase this year, especially on fiber broadband. I mean, no question. There's still this replacement of copper networks that's happening. There's still so much investment uh, that's still to be had. Uh, because of the labor and, and supply chain issues that are now being pushed into 2023 and beyond to support those uh, uh, committed fiber uh, rollouts. So I think that's important to note is that on the, on the one hand, you've got the macroeconomic conditions slowing things, but at the same time, you've still got this buffer of subsidization and already commitments uh, to expanding fiber networks Uh, both in new areas as well as overbuilding existing DSL networks. Thanks.
0: Well, Jeff, thanks for joining us here today uh, for this talk. And we'll continue to look to Delora Group uh, this year for all of our uh, industry analysis. So uh, thanks again.
1: All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt.